Well, hey there, and welcome to the Emergence Community Leaders Podcast, a podcast dedicated to diving deeper into the themes and topics we study each week as we gather together to worship Jesus. Our hope is that this will serve to further equip our church with more insight, context, and background into the weekly sermons and help the proclamation of God's Word on Sunday turn into the application of God's Word in our daily lives and ultimately ending up in the transformation of people in our local communities. Thanks for joining us here today, and let's get started as we dive into this week's discussion. All right. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Alex Hauser. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at the church. And this week, I am unfortunately flying solo as Doug was unavailable, but we are in week six of our study through the book of Proverbs. And this week, we are talking about friendship and kind of an overlooked love with friendship. Uh, in the sermon this week, Pastor Ryan was talking about how there, you know, there's multiple aspects of love, but one aspect that's often overlooked, especially in our culture, uh, is that of friendship. And he kind of compared that a little bit to how we all often look to uh, romantic love, we look to familial love, but we rarely look to a friendship type of love. And so he focused in on that this week. I thought it was an amazing sermon, and we've got a couple really great discussion points for our communities this week. So let's jump right into it. If you have the discussion guide in front of you, you can follow along. We make that available every single week online on our website. You can go to emergencenj.org slash weekly resources to find that guide as well as some of the other resources like this podcast and a uh, communities video as well. So let's get into it. We've got a few sections to our discussion guide this week, and the first one here is called A Love Overlooked. Again, talking about this aspect of friendship. So in the sermon, Ryan focused in on one of the most overlooked aspects of love, like I said, which is friendship. He identified three specific buckets that our acquaintances can often fall into. So the first of those is companions, and these are the folks who may become friends with you know more time and attention. Second are people we pour ourselves into, but usually don't do the same for us. And number three, true friends, where blessing really kind of goes both ways. So a few questions for us here to kind of consider. Number one, do you feel that your friendships are as important to you as they should be? And is there anything that you feel you should change about that? So right out of the gate, let's talk about, you know, okay, well, what does friendship really mean to us? And, and you know, do some self-examination. As you look at your own friendships, do you feel that, you know, those friends and those friendships are as important to you as, as really they should be? And if not, you know, what kind of needs to change about you? Um, a little bit to, to make them more valuable. Number two, what has been the most rewarding friendship in your life and why? Self-explanatory. Number three, if we were to poll your closest friends, I love this question. If we were to poll your closest friends, what do you think they'd say is the biggest way you need to grow as a friend? So very, very vulnerable vulnerable question here. And uh, bearing in mind too that we're meeting with our community, which is often made up of a lot of our close friends. Um, if you're willing to go there and be honest, just say, hey, you know, this might be a question where it would be worthwhile to kind of um, maybe if you have a co-ed group, separate men and women or, you know, kind of however you want to go about it, maybe smaller groups and, and just for an opportunity of vulnerability, uh, maybe answer this question saying, well, this is what I feel like my closest friends would probably say is the biggest way I need to grow as a friend. But what would you guys say if you're willing to go that far to be that vulnerable and say, where do you guys personally feel that I could grow to be a better friend? It's an awesome question if you're willing to go there. And I would encourage you to do so. We're in the final weeks of our study through Proverbs, and this is the opportunity really uh, to really hone in and push in. And, you know, we have one more week left. Next week's our last week. And then we have the entirety of the summer break. Of course, we'd encourage you guys to get 
get together if you can, if the quarantine allows us to get together. Um, but we would certainly encourage you to at least have a couple Zoom calls or anything like that. You know, don't go the entire summer without saying hello to your community, but definitely enjoy the rest and relaxation as well. So number four, of the three relationships that Ryan identified above, people often have so many of the first two that they really don't have the time or the emotional energy for the third. Um, why do you think this is so easy to fall into the, you know, why, why is it so easy to fall into this trap and what can you do to make sure that you don't? So rephrasing that a little bit. So people often have many companions, you know, maybe a lot of folks that as Ryan described this, this is kind of like social media. We have lots of companions, lots of people that know us, lots of people we know, maybe light texts or emails or, Hey, how's it going? Or something like that. Those are companions. Or number two, people that we're often pouring ourselves into, but really don't get anything back from them at all. And a lot of times folks, you know, have so many of these first two relationships that they really don't have the energy or the wherewithal to really invest into the third relationship, which are true friends, you know, where blessing is really going both ways. And, you know, how do we fall into this trap? I think a lot of times, you know, if I was to answer this question, I think social media gives us a false um, assumption that we have a lot more friends than we really do. You know, for me personally, I think this is going to be a little bit different for everybody that answers this question. But for me personally, you know, Alex, as I sit here and I read this question, the biggest definer of, of close friends for me is time. You know, I, I've mentioned this before, but for me, those those folks that I spend the most time with are the ones that clearly you know, I'm investing myself into and I try as much as I can to be face to face with 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 my friends, my closest friends and make sure I am giving them time uh, either in person or on the phone or anything else like that. And I want to make sure that, you know, it's not just social media. It's not just light hellos and and so on and so forth. You know, to give you a, a for instance, Nate Dorka was the uh, he's the pastor of Ringwood. He's been my best friend for years. He was the best man at my wedding. And ever since we both started working at Emergence, we always see each other in passing, but it's always in work contexts. You know what I mean? When we're talking to each other, visiting each other in each other's office, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's always it's always kind of in passing. We're always talking about work. We're not necessarily, you know, just kind of gelling and relaxing and doing whatever. So we always, you know, just try to get together with our wives and just hang out, you know, play some board games, do something, you know, as time allows. And over the years and over seasons, we've seen that change and shift. But I, it's always a blessing that goes both ways, you know, in the times where, you know, I'm feeling just without any energy or, or not have the availability um, to really invest or talk or do anything. Nate's always there to just be, you know, a helpful hand and, um, and just always there for me and vice versa. You know, as he's seasons ahead of me, he's, he always has been, he and his wife got uh, married before we did. They had kids before, you know, we have. And in all of those situations, as Nate's kind of navigated those, I, I've always endeavored to try to be that friend for him to just be a soundboard, you know, as he processes through things. So that's just kind of a personal example from my life. Sometimes I think, I think it's helpful to kind of hear how others would answer the question. But as the leader, I'd recommend that you kind of go first, if you can, to answer the question and, and give people kind of that permission to, to be as vulnerable as, as you've shown as well. So short answer to the question, you know, why do you think it's so easy to fall into this trap? My answer, I think it's social media. We're, we're always surrounded by lots of people and not necessarily lots of friends. And so consider, consider that, especially with the first questions we asked, you know, how am I investing into my friendships or am I, could I be doing that better? And am I falling into the trap of assuming I have more friends than I really do? Not, not that you necessarily need the most amount of friends. You know, I think that might be another trap is, you know, looking at a number on social media or followers or anything else. It's, that's not necessarily a good gauge of, of deep and true friendships. You know, for some folks, it might be one to three really close friends. For other, it might be five to ten or, or whatever that number might be. Um, 
you know, we're all kind of created a little bit differently. And and I love the example Ryan used in the sermon where he talked about Legos, you know, Legos come in all different shapes and sizes. And he equated that to relationships as well. Uh, when it comes to friendships, you know, some of us could be smaller Legos, like the four block, you know, that there's only four uh, blocks in order to attach other Legos to versus some might be the 10 block, you know what I mean? Where there's a lot more of the little, uh, um, I don't know what they're called, the little raised divots that you can attach other blocks to, if you know what I mean. And, and friendships can be like that. You know, some of us really are looking for four outlets and others are looking for 10, but whatever that might be, you know, be careful that we don't allow just a plethora of acquaintances to become um, a false assumption of, of actual deep, more intimate relationship, uh, if that makes sense. Hopefully it does. So I'm going to move on to our second section here. Uh, Ryan talked about two different things. He talked about friends of burden and friends of blessing. And so there were a number of different burdens that he offered through. And we're actually going to hit each one of these turn by turn. So I'm going to start with the gossip, right, which comes from Proverbs 16:28. The gossip is somebody who really betrays trust by kind of talking behind others another person's back. This is a killer. Gossip is a killer. It's always bad. It's always sinful. Don't do it. Don't do it. And, uh, you know, just as a side note, a lot of times, you know, in my experience being in ministry now, I look at other churches that have not done so well. And gossip is like the chief killer, man. It, it just, it burns down great relationships. And I absolutely hate gossip. And I think, I think God does too. So question number five, why is gossip such a temptation for us? And how can we make sure that we are not doing it? My short answer to this is accountability. I want friends that don't let me gossip. You know what I mean? All of us are tempted to this. It'd be a lie to say that we're not. You know what I mean? I'm Me, myself, as much as I hate gossip, I'm always, it's just like a gut sinful reaction that I have sometimes. Oh, did you see this? Did you hear this? Did you see what, the, what he did or what he said or blah, 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 blah. Stupid. Get rid of it. The temptation is there, but how do we make sure we're not doing it? Number one, I want to I want to surround myself by people that can't stand gossip and don't allow for it. My wife is a phenomenal example of that. She does not let me talk about other people. It's not good, it, it, at least if it's not in a healthy way. Or if it's not in a way, um, let's say, for example, gossip, again, is always a matter of the heart. If I'm talking about a close friend or a relative or acquaintance or whatever, and you know, and I'm I'm more concerned about their well being, and I'm I'm bringing something up because I want to see them navigate this well and move through it. That's one thing. And you're seeking out sound wisdom, you're seeking out sound advice, and you both have a mutual love and care for that person. That's one thing, and God bless you in that. You know what I mean? And prayerfully consider how we navigate that well for the building up of the church. The opposite is deadly. If I'm only bringing this up because I'm reveling in the fact of somebody else's hurt or somebody else's, you know ostracization, you know, so to speak, if they're, if they're being ousted by the, you know, social circle that we're in and I'm helping them do that, that's sinful. It's deadly and it's not helpful for the church. And so, uh, my short answer really surround yourself by people that are like-minded. I would also say pray and, and make, and put yourself out there to be held accountable to that, especially if you know that you're privy to gossip, you know, put that out there. Even right now in the, in the midst of this discussion that you have with your group, just say, Hey, look, I, this is a struggle for me. I, for whatever reason, this is, always something that I just revert to and I hate it in my life and I don't want it there. I want you guys to hold me accountable, for instance. All right. The second friend of uh, of burden, so to speak, is the insecure friend accumulator, right? <laughs> is, what, uh, is kind of how Ryan described it. And this is basically somebody, it, it, the title for this could be somewhat misleading, but this is essentially the person who just wants a lot of people around them. You know, they're kind of insecure. They want a lot of people around them because it helps them, you know, feel better or it, it for them, it makes them feel like, you know, they're more valuable, I guess to say, or they're more popular. 
And so uh, in this verse specifically, in Proverbs 19, it's, it's really talking about money, but this can also be things, you know, status, popularity, power, whatever, whatever that might be. Um, so question number six, how can a strong relationship with God help us to not be this kind of friend? You know, I think the answer to this is kind of self-explanatory, but at, at the underlying value here is if I'm accumulating a lot of people around me and that's helping me feel more secure then it's showing me that there's an idol in my life. Not, first and foremost, I'm finding my identity in the wrong place. Uh, I'm finding my identity in the people around me and not in the reality of of how God's made me and my identity being as, you know, in the Imago Dei, I am, I'm God's, right? God is the chief relationship. He is the one that we worship. I don't find my identity in, in what others say about me or the fact that I have many friends or don't have many friends. There is one chief uh, friend that matters more than anyone else. And that, that really is the Lord. And so, uh, pray upon that and, you know, be mindful of that. I think this is an easy one for us to kind of be willing and vulnerable to say, you know, um, Especially in our day and age, you know, there's a lot of jobs that really warrant having a lot of people around us and having a lot of friends around us. But again, is that something that's making me feel better? Am I finding my identity in that? I would even say that for for that person that really is struggling with that, you know, one good thing to have first and foremost is a relationship with God. Obviously, spend more time in the Word with the Lord. Um, I like doing that in the morning. It always reminds me of you know <laughs> why I'm living my life. But second, I, I would say have an accountability partner, have a true friend that you can really go to, somebody that you can rely on. Whether you know if that's a spouse, maybe I would even I would even push outside of a spouse. Have somebody that's um, you know a different type of relationship, right? I love my spouse. I can always go to my wife um, and I trust her to always be um, the chief and foremost relationship, human relationship I have in this life. But I also want to have a friend that is willing to call me out uh, and is somebody that loves me well enough to show me my shortcomings, to um, to be that kind of a friend that I can lean on in those times, uh, for instance. So let's move on to the interrogator, Proverbs seventeen nine. So the interrogator is basically the person who constantly points out our faults. They're always becoming more of a police officer to us than a true friend and just pointing out things. This is brutal. Um, even as I read this, I hate saying this because this is probably me. Good friends are able to confront us when we do wrong, but true friendship is a lot more than this. Now, the interrogator is tough because it's like you're always trying to live up to another standard that you can't ever meet, and it gets exhausting. You know, you're never per- you're never good enough. You're never perfect enough. You're, there's always more work to be done, and and true, there's always like we're, we've never arrived. There's always more growth, but we don't want to be that kind of friend that's constantly calling people up to a bar or up to a standard. Um, so, question number seven: Understanding that we all have faults and we all need people in our lives to help us overcome them. At what point does a person cross the line from a, being a good friend to being an interrogator? I think this is a great question, and I, it's not just an obvious answer. So, I think this will be a good conversation starter for you guys. But we should be careful to recognize that this might be a little bit different for folks. You know, somebody that is used to kind of criticism or somebody that really enjoys like challenge, for example, is really going to look for folks to kind of hold them above. For instance, I, uh, a good mentor in my life, Kurt uh, Wubenhorst is a great friend of mine and he, I've given him the permission to call me out. He's constantly challenging me forward, constantly pointing things out with very black and white words because I, I like that. I thrive on that of knowing where my weaknesses are because I, I want to grow, whatever those things are. Um, my wife, for instance, is different, you know, very, very different. She wants to be invited to grow forward and being invited to, you know, uh, softer areas of her life and, and different types of language. You know, we all might be a little bit different in that. And so there's a difference between an interrogator and, you know, a friend that's really inviting you to kind of grow, um, 
and it's it may not always be black and white to define those two things is is really what I'm trying to say. Knowing that, you know, if I guess if we're a person that really thrives on policing people, you know, repent upon that. You're you're probably a friend that no one wants to have in their life. <laughs> you know, if you find that you're not really being invited along to certain things, or uh, if you comment upon, you know, somebody, if they share a story and you make a comment and then all of a sudden there's no more conversation in the room, you might be this person. You might be the one that's really uh, making it hard for anybody else to really, you know, feel okay in their own skin, for example. So pray upon that one. Next one is the leech, Proverbs 25, 17. This is the person who lacks the emotional intelligence to really understand appropriate boundaries. As a result, he or she tends to pursue intense and very intense levels of friendship that really have not been earned too much, too soon, too fast, as Ryan said in the sermon this week. So question number eight, what are the results of this kind of friendship and how can we get set up with healthy boundaries uh, with people who really do have such tendencies. For me, I honestly, I've always had experience with this type of person. The best experience I've always had is to kind of call that out. You know, they're obviously radically vulnerable, probably too, too much so. And a lot of times this kind of points out an issue that's going on in their life where they're desperate to have some sense of victory over. Um, you know, I'm grateful for ministries that we have like redemption recovery, which meets and kind of helps people identify this in themselves and process through that. Um, and I think we all have this to a certain degree, but first and foremost, you know, if, the person that's really doing this, the leech, they're thriving on this. You know, they're thriving on the fact that, you know, they, they want more vulnerability. There has to always be something wrong. Oh, that's that's so terrible. Tell me more about that. They're thriving on on this kind of man, I lack the words to really describe these things. I almost wish I almost wish Phil Bracco was in here with me. He'd he'd be he'd have better words than I do. But uh, they almost thrive on this kind of um, of the reality of somebody else not doing well or the thriving of somebody hurting or in pain or something else like that. And, you know, truthfully, that's pointing out something in their life. There, there's something there that's hurting them. There's something there that they've not yet uh, really overcome. And so how do we kind of walk through this? First and foremost, I, I honestly point it out. Just say, hey, look, this is, it's draining. And and here's why, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm concerned, I'm curious, but um, you know, help me, help me kind of understand this a little bit more. Sometimes they might not just need a friend or, you know, a good conversation, but if you point it out to them, at least in my experience, they tend to recognize that, uh, and can kind of step back if they can't do that. If, you know, if this is something that kind of recurs, uh, I talk about this a lot. You know, if you guys are listening to this and you're leading a community, you've probably come across this more than once. Uh, this is something you'll often find in a community group. Somebody will join a group because they're desperate to try to, uh, get this thing off their chest, you know what I mean, whatever it is, or they're struggling with it. And it, it just seems to be the same thing every single week. Oftentimes, this is somebody that really needs a little bit more attention. They really need a, like a counselor, somebody to actually, you know, a pastor, a counselor, whoever that might be to really help them figure this, figure this thing out in their lives. So hopefully that's a little bit helpful. I, you know, this is the first question I've read on here where I really feel um, like I can't answer it well. <laughs> um, Phil Bracco is, is, I really wish he was here in this one, but I'm going to move on. Uh, the next one's the brawler, right? Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. This is the person with an appetite for fighting or arguing, you know, whether it's physical or mental or verbal, whatever that might be. Oftentimes they're very harmful to their friends because they're kind of drawing them into this unnecessarily and un and usually sinful kind of conflict. 
So question number nine, is it possible to help a friend who is a brawler? And if so, how? Uh, short answer to this is yes. You know, nobody's beyond saving, <laughs> you know, so to speak. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, we know that God can, can can move mountains. And so, especially in this person's life, again, I you know, I think my answer, my default answer for all of these things is going to be talk to them uh, in the right way, you know, approach them personally and say, look here, you know, here's what I see. And, and hopefully they, you know, be willing to receive that. But the brawler stinks, man. They're constantly starting conflict. They're constantly starting fights for unnecessary reasons. And, you know, maybe it's just the fact that they like confrontation. And so a lot of time, you know, I'm that way. I'm wired that way. I like confrontation and I like being challenged on things. I like arguing for the right reasons, you know, not the wrong reasons, but the brawler is often somebody that's just doing it for the sake of having conflict, which is unhealthy. And so uh, approach them about that and, and, and challenge them on it. Uh, the next is the sing songer, Proverbs twenty five twenty. This is somebody whose own discomfort with pain and vulnerability makes them un- unable to weep alongside of us. As a result, they run to quick and shallow solutions to try to fix our problems and put us in a mood that is more in line with their own comfort zone. Uh, so, question number ten: Why is this kind of friendship burdensome? Isn't this the sing? Isn't the sing songer just trying to make us feel better? So. To translate this a little bit, this is essentially the person where everything's always coming up roses and they can't really go that deep with real hurt, real vulnerability. Um, This is almost the opposite of the leech, right? These two are kind of, you know, polar opposites. The leech kind of thrives on on hurt and the sing-songer is like, there is no hurt. Everything's good. And here, just fix this, do this, and and so on and so forth. Um, I think another question for us is, you know, if you were to kind of gauge yourself on a on a continuum, would you be closer to the sing songer? Would you be closer to the leech, and why? You know, that might be a question I ask my group tonight. But this friendship hurts a lot of times because you're kind of seeing a friend that isn't willing to uh, be there for you. You know what I mean? A lot of times, I guess if you're this friend, if you can identify this in yourself. I'll give you a piece of advice that I learned because I, I tend to be more toward the sing songer rather than the leech. Um, I don't I don't have a huge depth of uh, willingness to to wallow around in emotion, <laughs> even as a pastor. As I say that, I realize that's that's always something I'm going to be working on. But one thing I've learned is a lot of times, you know, if somebody's hurting, they don't necessarily need a fix. They don't need an answer. They don't need you to fix the problem for them. That's not really why they're coming to you. They're coming to you because they need somebody there with them. They want somebody else to help shoulder that burden. And so in those moments, you know, if you can try to be like Christ to them in whatever way, you know, even if that's just willing to bear that burden with them, to walk through it with them, they're not necessarily asking you to take it on your own shoulders. But if you can be willing to just hold them up in the midst of whatever season this is, that will be oftentimes more loving to them uh, than trying to provide some kind of solution, uh, if that makes sense. I, I speak of this as somebody like, I always want to fix a problem. If I see a problem, I, I've got to fix it. That's how I'm wired. And I've just learned over the years that a lot of times as folks come to me for advice or for wisdom or for, you know, just to share something with me, they're not necessarily looking for me to fix the problem. They're looking for me to help them navigate it. And so hopefully that'll be helpful to you as we kind of uh, look in that. This is one, um, this is probably of the burden relationships. This is probably one of the easier ones to fix. Um, if you can show people this, if you can teach people this, this is there is a solution here for the for, for the sing songer. Help them recognize the fact that you know as folks come to them, 
they're not necessarily looking for that fix and, and help show them the outlet where they can use that ability. Cause it's a skill, you know what I mean? Um, although the sing songer is kind of implying that they don't like dealing with pain and discomfort. And the second part of this too, is, you know, the true sing songer probably, again, probably has some hurt in their life that they're just glossing over. They don't, they don't want to have to deal with the depth of that reality. They don't want to have to deal with the depth of that hurt, whatever it is that they've been through. So they're always looking at the brighter side and just kind of sweeping the rest under the rug. The danger with that is that eventually that all comes out in the end, all the, you know, the hurt, the dust under the rug, all it does is just collect more dust and get dirtier and dirtier until we really deal with it. And it seems like the longer we go without truly confronting that, the worse it becomes. So, you know, be mindful. Again, I'm, I'm assuming that as you guys listen to this, you have a, a level of emotional intelligence to realize that with any of these conversations, it takes care, it takes love, it takes humility, and it takes a strong desire to want to love somebody well and, you know, reflect Jesus to them and, and share the gospel of, you know, what we understand in their life as well to see them forward, right? And so just be mindful of who it is that you're talking to. Recognize that we're not always wired the same. Everything that we're describing in this discussion guide are are, are grossly, you know, oversimplified. These are stereotypes, right? These are these are large categories, but people are individually wired. And so just because, you know, you, you feel that somebody might fall into a certain category, just be careful that you're not lumping them into something. You know, my, I myself, as I read through these things, I identify with more than one, you know, and there's aspects of all of these. And if we're honest, I'm, I'm, I'm willing, I would probably be willing to share that, you know, I identify with all of these to some degree or another, and we probably all do. So just be mindful of that as we kind of move forward. The last one's the fair weather friend. Uh, like the sing songer, the fair weather friend basically lacks the capacity to endure hardship and splits when you need him or her the most. So number 11, think of a time in your life where somebody stuck by your side through extremely difficult times. How is that helpful for you? And what did that do to your friendship with that individual? So, uh, the, the question number 11 is kind of the antithesis to the fair weather friend, but this is similar. Basically anytime there's, there's any hurt or any, um, any kind of hardship, this friend just bolts. They're not there for you. They can't be there. You know, the sing song is normally there for you, but they're, it's just always coming up roses. The fair weather friend is just out. They peace anytime that there's any kind of hurt. This friend stinks. I, <laughs> it, it just stinks. Uh, I've seen this, you know, I've seen this in my own life uh, with, with friends that weren't there. They didn't have the depth of that relationship. And I've unfortunately been this person uh, as well. And it, it just stinks. You know what I mean? It, Part of being a true friend to somebody is being willing to weather the storm with them. You know, I think that's what it's what Jesus calls us to really in in true friendship and true relationship. You know, as we as we do life side by side, um, these seasons will come. And I think that's one of the biggest blessings we have of being in a community, uh, you know, the church community and and, and a community of friends as well as our, our community groups as well is having people alongside of us that when. You know, if if hardship comes, there is a plethora of people that truly love us and care for us to be able to weather that with us. Be that friend. Be that friend. Don't be the one that bolts anytime some something gets hard. You know, I've unfortunately seen this in leaders for groups as well. You know, oh, there's this person in our group and it just seems like, you know, they're going through something really hard. And it's, you know, I, I don't think that this is necessary for us to deal with. No, that's community's messy, man. It's a privilege that we get to bear burdens with one another. And, you know, there's a difference. <laughs> There's so much gray area in so many of these things, but there is a difference between somebody that, you know, thrives in having people 
um, weep for their, you know, hardship versus um, walking and, and doing life with somebody. And, you know, as these seasons arise, taking them together. Uh, hopefully that makes sense to you guys. All right, let's talk about the friends of blessing, right? Let's contrast the the burdensome friends that we just talked through and, and look at the three practices that Ryan kind of gave us in the sermon to be better friends to one another. So the first one is to really be there when things go wrong. So this is Proverbs 18.24. The tendency is to really feel like we don't have anything to offer if we can't fix our friends' problems, right? We just talked about that a second ago. However, good friends understand that their mere presence in times of trouble brings healing. So this is exactly what I was talking about a moment ago. Number 12, simple question. Why is this? Why do you think this is? Why is it such a comfort to have somebody to kind of go with us when things go wrong? Um, If I'm going to answer this question, I think the short answer is... I'll just say that I think the devil's got a tactic to make us feel more alone than we than we really are. Jesus is always with us. He, he goes before us. He walks alongside of us, you know, and we also have friends. We have a church. We have a community. That's why we exist. That's why we walk together. That's why we do community groups. You know what I mean? We are not alone. And life in Christ was never meant to be lived alone. From the very first pages of scripture, we can see that, uh, you know, man was not meant to live alone, right? As, as Genesis describes the unique relationship of a marriage. But throughout scripture, we can see everything that we're called to do is to, is to be a community uh, together, to do these things together. And so, um, don't, we shouldn't ever feel like we're, you know, being left alone. I think that's a, a, a sinful tactic that, you know, the devil tries to employ, uh, Satan tries to employ it to, to make us feel like we're more alone than we are. And so in those moments where we're going through hardship, a lot of times we can feel like we're alone. We can feel like we're isolated in this or that there's no other options. And, you know, I'm, I, I can't even speak to the, to the nth degree of, you know, mental illnesses and how far this can really go, you know, to the point where people start contemplating taking their own life because they feel so alone. And in those simple, in those moments, the most simple thing is to have somebody next to you, not even necessarily to say anything, but to just know you're loved, you're, you're wanted um, that you, that people want you there. It's, it's, it's just such a simple thing. And yet it speaks volumes of, of how we can truly love one another as friends. Uh, number two, be willing to speak hard truth. This is something that has, it's, this is like a lost art, I think, uh, in our culture in, in these days and, and true friends are willing to do this. So Proverbs 25, six, right? True friends have enough trust, credibility, love, and respect to point out our blind spots in order to help us and not harm us, right? There's a difference. Sometimes we point out blind spots because we come with the wrong attitude or anything else. True friends want us to grow. That's their motivation. They love us enough. Honestly, the the friends that I appreciate the most are always the ones that are willing to show me areas that I'm outside of what of of a good reflection of Christ. You know, they're willing to point out my sin, willing to point out areas that I need to grow, willing to point out areas that I might be hurting people and I don't even realize it. You know, I can be very black and white in how I say things. And they can come off very harsh. And the most loving friends that I have are the ones that point that out and say, hey, you said this thing. I understand why you said it, but do you realize how that might have come off? Um, Those are always, to me, the the truest friends. So uh, question number 13 says, how can you respond when your good friend breaches hard topics with you? I'm just going to answer this for everybody. Here's the answer, right? Receive it. Receive it. Just take it. Receive it. The way to respond is receive it. Even if your friend's completely in the wrong, even if they're totally off base and maybe they got something that was, you know, exaggerated or outside or they don't have the full scope, they're at least coming to you to point this out. If nothing else, that's an act of love. But more realistically, if they're coming to you and they're willing to take that step of really, you know, putting your relationship on the line here to kind of confront you and call this thing out, then probably there's some truth in that. And 
you know, just as an individual, I would say anytime somebody confronts you with anything or critiques you for anything, be willing to realize that there's probably at least a small amount of truth to that. Um, more likely than not, there's probably a lot of truth to that. But if just to be a better friend to people in general, be willing to receive feedback, be willing to receive criticism, even if it's not delivered in the best way, you know, have grace for people. You know, a lot of times folks don't really come in, in, in the best practice to kind of do this, but it, Ryan says this all the time in the sermon, conflict navigated well in relationships actually builds trust. And so if you can overcome this thing, whatever that is, this conflict, or, or maybe, you know, there's small argument or they're confronting you with something. If you can navigate through that well with grace and humility and love for one another and, and really move, move beyond and, and both grow as a result, you have a, tr- you have a better friend now than you did before. And so, um, trust in that, you know, s- sincerely trust in that. It's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice, uh, biggest pieces of advice I've ever received. And, and hopefully, uh, we can all do the same. Uh, last one is be available to give counsel, uh, source text, uh, Doug gave this, uh, Proverbs 27, nine. So friendship is about mutual giving and receiving, right? The best friendships are the ones where people are not really concerned about their own well-being, but rather being willing to lay themselves down and sacrifice their own lives for the sake of their friends. And the best friendships are the ones where that's happening mutually, Right. Um, it's always, it's always hard to see if you're in a, you know, a friendship where really one person's constantly giving and one person's constantly receiving it's, it's taxing. It's, it's exhausting. Um, but when you get those, uh, I, I keep going back to relationship too, in marriages, especially you'll, you'll find this to be true. Um, but when you have two people that are more focused on loving one another well and serving one another, well, both people benefit that it's just, it's this paradoxical reality about love that the more I give of myself, um, the better potential there is for me to be loved better in return. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing when we see that. So question number 14, what are some of the characteristics of good counsel? So again, I'll just give you one good counsel always comes in love. They're here. They come with wise words. That's biblically founded. Um, that is motivated by seeing you grow and their primary motivation is to love you well. That's it. You know, that's, that's what I would offer at least for good counsel. Uh, so with those things in mind, be careful that you're not offering bad counsel, you know, don't hit your friend when they're down, you know, help them, love them well. Uh, last thing here is the ultimate hope that we have in friendship. We're going to ask somebody to read John 15, 15, and then two questions here. Why might some Christians have difficulty thinking about Jesus as a friend? I would say probably because maybe they haven't seen the full scope of who Jesus is. Maybe they haven't had friends enough that have really modeled friendship well. Um, might be some answers. Uh, number 16, Ryan closed the sermon by suggesting that the gospel is an invitation into friendship with Jesus, who, <clears throat> who gives us his spirit for counsel. Hmm. A couple typos here. I'll try to fix that before we deliver that out. Uh, Who gives us his spirit for counsel is himself the perfect model of friendship and shows us grace when we fail as his friends. How can you show this kind of Christ-like friendship to someone in your own life? Again, this is just pointing to the reality that Christ really is the definition of great friendship. You know what I mean? He, He loved us enough to lay down his life before we ever even considered him. And even despite the fact that we are always and constantly failing Jesus, he's always showing us grace, loving us well, inviting us back into right relationship. And 
more and more and more as we can do that to one another, our friendships will grow. There will be a type of bond there that's unbreakable because it's founded in Christ. It's founded in exactly who Jesus is to us. And if we can, if we can be that to one another as well, recognizing that we will fail, we will fail one another. But if we can have the grace and humility to navigate those things, um, we will see friendships within our church um, that really they are what the rest of the world desperately needs to see. Our culture needs to see these types of friendships that are focused, uh, first and foremost, are centered on Christ, that are completely founded upon the the amazing friendship that we have in Christ, the love that we see in the gospel, and the hope that we have there. And because of that, we love one another in similar ways. It's what everyone desperately needs to see. And Christians to non-Christians, this is the number one trait I think Christians should be showing non-Christians, is being willing to lay down our own lives, to be, be willing to be a friend to someone that maybe is a complete stranger or or might be one of these burdensome friends, you know? If we have if we if you meet somebody that is the interrogator, the leech, the brawler, the sing song, the fair weather friend, how can you be Christ to them? How can you help them navigate those things uh, to come back into right relationship, maybe in a friendship, but then first and foremost, show them Jesus. Show them how Jesus uh, writes these things for us and uh, write R-I-G-H-T, right? He, he makes these things right. He helps us back to uh, the fullest definition of life that we have uh, as a promise uh, through what he did on the cross. So hopefully those things are, are helpful for you guys. I'm praying that you guys have some awesome conversations this week. I do pray that we would have better uh, friendships as a result, really, that this would challenge us. Uh, first and foremost, challenge us personally to be a better friend. And then also challenge us together as a community to be these types of friends to one another. Hopefully this opens up a new avenue for accountability as well. You know, uh, a level of transparency, a level of, uh, of right vulnerability uh, and accountability as well. So to that end, praying that the Lord would reveal all these things to us and how we can be better friends to people and praying that God would continue to bring true friends into our lives and help us to be true friends to one another. And so thank you guys for continuing to lead. Looking forward to seeing you. Uh, next week, it'll be our last week of communities, which we're kind of mourning. <laughs> we always mourn it. Uh, sometimes we're excited for the summer. This year has been a weird one just with the quarantine and everything else going on. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go forward. But uh, just praying that you guys would be blessed in your conversations this week. As always, thank you so much for being willing to just sacrifice the time and and your willingness to to lead one another through these conversations. Uh, I, I've been leading groups for a long time. I know how awkward it can be at times. I know how uncomfortable it can be and community is messy it's just a it's a truth you know we are imperfect people that are coming together because of a perfect god and and you know with our focus on christ we can overcome these things we can build great friendships that rely on upon jesus and his gospel uh, and get to do life with one another and so to that end i pray that god would bless all of us to that thank you guys so much looking forward to talking with you again soon take care